Oddball Accessories on episode 362 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for everybody else who likes going out under the stars. So we'll start with uh, some of our own observations this week. Shane, not sure if uh, you were able to get any get any of the clear sky opportunities under your belt or telescope. Yeah, a little bit. Um, all daytime stuff for me, uh, using H-alpha to look at the sun. And I uh, had multiple sessions. The um, I don't know if it's just a slow week or if the sun is changing a little bit, but I didn't notice as many uh, like memorable prominences as what I've been used to for the last well, couple of years at least now. Um, it just seemed like the activity was a little quieter, but, uh, still lots to see, you know, no matter what in, in H alpha, uh, it, it sort of reminds me of the moon. You know, when you look at the moon, it's just feature upon feature upon feature. And, uh, the sun is really no different. Um, you know, within the prominences, there's a lot of detail that you can try to observe and then a whole bunch of different surface things there too. So I really enjoyed it. It was nice. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, like, you know, we're getting closer to our winter hibernation point here where, you know, observing becomes somewhat, somewhat more challenging, uh, due to the cold weather. Um, and one thing I really miss over winter is the, uh, the solar observing. So I'm getting in as much as I can, knowing that, uh, probably here some point in the next couple of months, I probably won't be doing very much of it. Yeah. But, uh, how about you? Were you able to get out? I, I think you were, so... Yeah, get out, uh, get out a couple times really quick though. What what uh, solar telescope are you using these days? Well, it's kind of a like an interesting approach, I guess. So, um, a couple of years ago, I acquired um, a double stacked forty millimeter Coronado Solar Max, mm -hmm. and uh, it's an older version of it. So, Coronado used to be its own company, and then uh, Mead Telescopes or whatever they're called bought Coronado, and now all of the Coronado stuff is made by Mead. And, um, some of the earlier Coronado stuff, um, just seems to, I, just reading on the internet seems to have, uh, maybe a little bit better quality. Mm -hmm. So that's why this one intrigued me. Plus the double stacking really brings out a lot more surface detail for you. Um, it, it, it shrinks that angstrom rating that I've talked about in the past, which is a, a value to represent how much detail you'll be able to see. Mm -hmm. And, um, Anyway, it, uh, it, it has not disappointed me, but the telescope itself actually had some sort of flaw in it and I, I can't figure it out. Um, using the Coronado OTA and focuser, I cannot get a tight focus on this at all. Well. And there's a, a little achromatic lens in there and I think it's delaminating. Like I, oh. if you take a look at it, um, either, either the cement for the elements, uh, is releasing or like, uh, the coatings are delaminating. I'm not sure. So it just so happens that I can take the, uh, like the two H alpha filters off the front of the Coronado scope. Uh, they screw in perfectly to the Borg 50 meter, uh, 50 millimeter FL dew shield. It's threaded at the end. Oh yeah. So they screw in there and then you still have to use like a proper solar blocking filter. So I use the uh, 10 millimeter Coronado blocking filter that I have, which is the diagonal. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's my solar scope now, Chris, that's how I'm doing all of this observing. So I have the Coronado H alpha filters, the Coronado blocking filter, but the actual telescope objective is the Borg 50 FL. 
Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a really neat setup. And um, like if I was to travel and and really wanted to do solar observing as well as night observing, it's like it's all there, right? It you know, mm -hmm. I, I can easily convert this thing in less than 30 seconds into a you know a proper nighttime telescope, you know, you know a little amb uh, aperture limited. But nonetheless, it it's a real sharp performer. Um, in fact, that one night I was at your place, I had the the fifty FL mounted right beside the uh, Mini Borg uh, fifty, which is an Acromat, and I was really impressed with that FL. It's it's a wonderful scope. Yeah, that's a pretty neat uh, little instrument for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For sure, have to get you back out here, take a look at the observatory progress. Yeah, for sure. I was close to you last night. I was uh, in in your sister town of Lumsden's. <laughs> oh, what was going on down there? Oh, uh, we did you go to the Scarecrow Festival? Well, it's it, we didn't know about that until we arrived. Uh, but it was just uh, a friend was having a, a celebration, so uh, we we joined them and a bunch of others in the backyard and had a nice supper and and a really nice visit. Ah, very cool. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I was able to get out. Uh, did about. I think four or five sessions past week um well we did did the session i did the session with mike and uh and peter last saturday night and then we had a couple uh really good evenings one was truly excellent and then uh had some morning observing sessions as well so did quite a bit of observing uh with both uh, my 12 by 36s as well as with the uh takahashi 100 millimeter um and I really find that with those 12 by 36 binoculars, uh, I was looking at M81 and M82, and it's just enough magnification under a good sky that you can start to like pull out significant detail in the targets. Have you noticed that with yours as well? Um, the like the value of the dark sky, or or sorry, well, no, aspect? just like like to be able to see like some detail, like with M81, you could, you could start to see that, uh, that sort of face on spiral structure. And definitely with like 82, you, you get that nice cigar type feature. Mm, I don't know if I've actually looked at those two with oh, my, really? okay. uh, my IS binoculars. Um, yeah, I can't comment on that one. So I was observing those and, and it occurred to me. So typically in my seven by fifties or seven by 35s or, or other binoculars I've ever used to, to look at any of the Messiers, uh, often you're just able to detect them. But I was thinking, huh, with the 12 power, things really start to, to look like stuff. And I'd sketched a few already. And then, so I decided maybe I'll try to sketch, uh, all all the messiers so i've, I've gotten a, a good chunk of the way along i don't know how many i've done in total um but this this past week i did uh messy 5 10 12 22 81 82 75 55 55 man that is tough from this far north eh mm -hmm. yeah that one is a little challenging for sure yeah just yeah that's brutal yeah yeah <laughs> That's a neat project. And, you know, with the, with the Messiers, um, you know, the binoculars allow you to kind of get through them pretty quickly. I think they're, you, you can scan the sky with such a wide field of view. You pick them up real quick because most of them are fairly bright and, uh, it's, uh, it's a good way to go. Yeah. I find with the 12 X, it's just enough that some of the Messiers, which I, I've, I've seen before on lower power binoculars, but for example, like 
M75 is a very small globular cluster. Mm -hmm. And with these, it, it just gives that, like it looks like a globular cluster. It's just enough versus just a star that's out of focus. So it is, it's it's really neat to uh, to take them out and and to kind of start going through this. And I'm kind of hoping it will what what I was what I'm trying to do is take more advantage of the good conditions that might be very brief. Like sometimes, you know, you get like an hour or so. And since my observatory isn't done, I'm trying to sort of make the most of the good uh, conditions when they occur. And, and sometimes I get up in the morning and, and I go out at three or four o'clock in the morning and it's pretty good for an hour, but, uh, I, I may not feel like setting up a telescope cause I might mm-hmm. wake my wife up or, or maybe the conditions just aren't that good, or I want to see something and I need to, you know, if I'm looking for a comet, I'm, I'm sort of wandering around and moving around, or I want to, you know, see something on the horizon. So I'm trying to get into a different position. So the binoculars are, are pretty good for that. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been nice uh, with the 12 by 36s. I can just get M10 and M12 in the same field of view at the same time. It's only fighter use. I, I really wish they had made those binoculars like a six degree binocular. I was just want just a little bit more field of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally agree. They're just on that edge of like, it's pretty good, but you just want a little bit more. Yeah. I think they went with like a 55 or something like that. Um, apparent field of view ocular in it. And I know like there's, there's more to it. If they, they you simply just can't put wider field eyepieces in, if they had done that, they would have had to make the binocular, uh, the basically the same size as the um, 15 by 50s and 18 by 50s. And, and that that size is unfortunately, like for me anyway, it's a bit of a barrier to just simply grabbing it and then running around and doing all this stuff. You really, you always want to have like that tripod handy. You know, you, you use them on the tripod or off. When you have them off, I really want to be seated, but I'm, I don't necessarily always want to be carting a chair with me. So I, I really feel like the 12 by 36 is, is a nice, happy medium. And when I was ab- observing with Mike last weekend, I handed him the 12 by 36 as well. I was using his 15 by 50s. And so, you know, the other thing is I have access to the 15 by 50s frequently enough as well. So a little bit of an easier choice. And then Mike had fun just like running around here um, looking at stuff because they are so like portable and and uh, easy to hold up to your eyes for a long period of time. So, but mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit of a project here to maybe try to take a look at as many of the messies as I could. I, I really want to get M55 though, because it's so low and it's at the Meridian uh, these nights when it when it's just dark. And I and it's well placed here. I thought if I can get that, that would be one of the tougher ones. And then uh, one of the other ones I was trying to get the other morning was uh, M seventy nine. I did a sketch of it last year in the four inch, but I got to try to try to get some of these ones that are low down on on the nights that are good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, had the uh, hundred millimeter out, and I'll talk more about this eyepiece because it, it's a bit of an oddball. Uh, was using the 17 millimeter uh, Explore Science. Man, that is a good eyepiece. Yeah, yeah. You've talked lots about how much you're enjoying that one. So it sounds like uh, a pretty good purchase. Yeah, I did a sketch of M78 with it. And then there was uh, a meteor uh, went through um, the field of view with, mm. with M78 in there. And I, th- I think I got like a two point 
three degree true field to view with with that eyepiece. The eyepiece is 17 millimeter, 92 degrees and weighs three pounds. And so that this meteor went through kind of, you know, was this this flash. And then there was a smoke trail um, that, that was sort of left hanging in the field of view for a moment. And I was like, oh, I, I got to wait for the smoke trail to clear so I can keep sketching. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to sketch the smoke trail into my, <laughs> into my observation. So I don't know if you saw that or not, but I, I did. Yeah, uh, I did. Yeah. Did, did that sketch had M78 NGC uh, 2071 was there too. I could see like the outer halo of M78 just, just scarcely and, uh, and sort of had plotted that in a bit too. And then uh, I think that's like NGC 2064 and 2069 or something like that. And then this, this smoke trail kind of cutting through, but man, that Explorer eyepiece it, it has crazy light transmission and it's so comfortable to look through. I, it, it almost makes me in a way, in a way, almost makes me think about selling my doctor 12 and a half and getting the, uh, I think it's the, I think they do a 12 millimeter um, Explore Science 92 as well. It, the, the view on it is just unlike anything I've heard, although I've heard the 17 is better than the 12. So I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't know much about uh, the 12 at all. I've, and really, the 17 is just based on what you've mentioned. I've never really looked into it. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, uh, we can get together sometime and and you can take uh, take a look through that. It, uh, Yeah, it's it's an awesome, awesome eyepiece. And I'm using it in all my scopes. I thought, I thought I'll get it and I won't use it until I get my equipment mounted up in the observatory. However, I, I find uh, I'm using it in everything. I'm using the 60 millimeter, 100 millimeter, five inch. Uh, it's just going, you know, right into the rotation. Um, looking at the Orion Nebula through it is just, it, the, the, you can see like these faint little stars, these little pinpricks of stars uh, poking through the nebula. Um, and then the huge field of view, 92 degrees. It's it's just, just so nice. Definitely yeah. a favorite eyepiece now. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, we we had an email here from Joe, and he had sent us an email uh, about the suitcase observatory slash and made up a, a 50 millimeter scope like our Borg, Shane. Maybe I'll uh, just read this and uh, sure. then we can chat about it. So uh, Joe writes, uh, hello, both. I've been meaning to write in again for a long time and keep thinking of new topics to discuss, but things keep getting in the way of me sitting down to write. I finally picked up just a few things that might be interesting for uh, a listener emails part of the show. Firstly, I've talked via email before about the suitcase observatory concept. Last year, I converted a Skywatcher Evo Guide 50ED into an ultralight scope by removing the focuser and getting a custom M53 to T2 adapter made so I can use a batter T2 prism diagonal and focusing eyepiece holder that fits one quarter inch eyepieces. He says, I also purchased some custom tube rings, so the total weight is less than two pounds for that telescope. Mm -hmm. So I think that's about in the same realm. I, I don't know how much our 50 millimeter Borg Acromats weigh. Do, do you? They're pretty light. They must be under two pounds. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the weight is for sure. The, the OTA would be under two pounds. Uh, I assume his two pounds includes, oh yeah, that's everything, right? Rings, yeah. diagonal. Yeah. Um, that's really light. Yeah. That's well yeah. done. Yeah. He attached some photos there and a diagram yeah. block and sent us a link to the stargazers 
Lounge. He said, uh, sadly, have not had a good chance to test out fully due to moving countries. Uh, but I thought the suitcase observatory discussion might be a good topic um, for one of your shows. Perhaps listeners could share some details of their lightest kits for traveling, etc. cetera. Uh, he goes on to say, relatedly, the good thing about moving back from, oh, I'm just going to, my builder is just arriving here. He's walking in front. It looks like he has a giant case of beer. Oh, no, it's some drills. All right. Um, he goes on to say, um, I've been reunited with an absolute ton of observing gear, which I haven't seen in eight years, including the, the first scope I ever looked through as a kid, which was a six-inch newt, which belonged to my granddad. I've attached um, a family photo of my scope. And another thing uh, of interest is a poem. And he included this poem, which is pretty cool. goes on to say, on my way back from Berlin, to London, I actually went via Japan for two months and visited uh, Starbase Tokyo a couple times. And so he really enjoyed that uh, episode um, that, that we did a uh, couple months ago with, oh my goodness. Justin. Justin. I was I knew it was a J. Uh, lastly, on the subject of Saturn's moons, I've recently been engaged in what I call the Enceladus challenge, namely trying to observe Enceladus with the smallest aperture scope you can. I tried recently with a 73 millimeter telescope and uh, using 112 uh, X, I was unsuccessful over the course of a few nights, but perhaps uh, other listeners will take up the challenge. Anyway, as always, thanks to you both for keeping up the great work with the show. Thanks, Joe. And he sent us a link to his build thread. Uh, very detailed. He has some schematic diagrams and everything. Looks super cool. I really like what you did with the uh, 50 millimeter. I had looked at that scope when I was originally thinking about uh, a ultra portable telescope. Then I had read the issue with getting eyepieces to focus. So it's pretty cool that he was able to overcome that with a custom adapter. Pretty neat, eh? Yeah, yeah, it was really neat. I love the block diagram that he included. And if anybody's interested in seeing some of this, uh, go to stargazerslounge.com uh, and the, the thread is titled Another Ultralight Travel Kit Project. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'll be able to see everything there. Yeah, it's well done. And uh, I'm I'm interested to hear, you know, as Joe uses it more, just how, how it works and how he's enjoying it. Yeah. So I've got a few, uh, oh, just a sec. I'm just going to pause this. My Oh, he's giving me the wave. My, my builder's there. <laughs> and uh, he's working on the observatories. This is really good news. <laughs> this is this is happening right now. So we'll, we'll keep this episode somewhat shorter maybe than we had intended because I've got to get up there to uh, to make sure things don't go awry. All right. Yeah. So so we're talking about some oddball accessories, Shane. Um, oh, first of all, do you have any further thoughts on on Joe's email before we move on? Um, not really. Uh, I, again, think it's very cool and I love the Enceladus challenge. I, I haven't heard of that one before. So tonight I think it's going to clear up here. And if it does, I'll, I'll take out my 76 millimeter just to see, uh, if it's, uh, visible. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I do encourage other listeners, like if other folks have like a ultra compact or, you know, sort of a nice travel setup, um, we'd love to hear about it. So mm -hmm. send us some emails. I know in the past, some other folks have talked or sent some photos and emails regarding their, you know, backpack or suitcase observatory that they take when they travel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would definitely be interested in hearing and, and seeing more about what people are doing in that space, because there's so many mm -hmm. options out there, you know, that you can, that you can use, whether it's the telescope or the mount or whatever. And, uh, I don't think that there's any right way of doing this, just probably a whole bunch of different ways of doing this. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So on to our oddball accessories. Uh, maybe we'll start with you, Shane, because um, in addition to Joe's email, uh, you recently bought a very strange accessory. I've been very uh, curious about how this one works myself. Uh, did you just want to start with, uh, yeah. with that one? What did you get? Yeah, well, so I thought for this episode, you know, we could just talk about some stuff that maybe we don't talk about much, you know, but but is like critical uh, to our observing or not maybe critical, but a, a, you know, a key accessory that we probably wouldn't leave the house without. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I did acquire a new thing. It's a, uh, it's, it's like, a, I think the title is like equalizer adapter mm -hmm. and uh, it's made by Teleview. Um, I've wanted this for many, many years and I've never purchased it, uh, largely because either it's out of stock or just hard to find. And, uh, one of these recently came up on the used site here in Canada, astrobicell.com. Okay. So I, uh, purchased it from a, a person there. Hmm. And, um, so what this thing is, is yeah, it's a big brass, quite heavy. I should have weighed it. I think it's probably a couple of pounds, two or three pounds would be my guess. Wow. And it's a inch and a quarter to two inch adapter and that's it. Mm -hmm. Now the point of it is when you're going from say your heavier two inch eyepieces, like your big 17 millimeter, uh, explore scientific or like a 31 millimeter Nagler. If you're switching from that to some smaller, lighter inch and a quarter eyepieces, the idea is you drop this thing in your diagonal and then you don't have to rebalance your whole telescope for a lighter eyepiece. It sort of keeps the weight distribution about the same. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's pretty important to me because there are, there's been multiple observing sessions in the past where, you know, I am using my 31 Nagler and I just don't want to switch to a lighter eyepiece because I don't feel like rebalancing my telescope unless I'm going to keep the lighter eyepiece in there for the majority of the night. But mm -hmm. if I'm going back and forth, it becomes a real pain. So this mm -hmm. sort of alleviates that. And my new use case for this is with the bino viewer. Oh yeah. Because there are times when I want to swap out the bino viewer for some wider field views. Mm -hmm. um, and swapping it out sometimes is a pain as well for the balancing aspects of it. So, uh, you know, this will... Uh, serve multiple purposes for me. Um, mm -hmm. and I'm pretty happy to have it. So this is going to go in, into the, uh, the kit that I basically take out with me every night, you know, okay. going to be beside me, uh, for the rest of my days, I think. <laughs> very cool. I, I really like the look of it. It has a nice look to it. I've always liked the, has, it looks very brass and mm -hmm. almost old timey. Yeah. I, I certainly have a fascination with brass, uh, you know, astronomical instruments because it does seem very, I don't know, I wouldn't say nostalgic, but when you, when you see some of the early instruments, a lot of it was brass or had brass components to it. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I do have a fondness for anything brass, uh, and astronomy. Hmm. Yeah. Well, anything else on that, uh, equalizer? I'm curious to see how it works. Yeah, no, nothing else really to add. Like it's, it's very basic. It's just a big hunk of metal essentially Yeah, <laughs> that uh, adds some weight to the back of the telescope. Um, so yeah, it, I think it's going to be handy for, for my use cases. Yeah. I've, uh, I, I've gone to a, uh, Antares twist lock. They're about uh, 40 bucks Canadian. Uh, and it's, it's made out of metal and it, it, does somewhat the same thing for me anyway, just because of my eyepiece selection, the mm -hmm. weight of that 
seems to um, make my lighter eye pieces, which really aren't that light because of like a doctor and some of those Pentax ones, it, it brings them closely in line with my heavier uh, two inch eyepieces so that it's, it's not as big a deal when I, when I switch eyepieces. So, but, uh, I've often thought about that equalizer since, uh, it would work perfectly for my, uh, switch between the lightest eyepieces and something like the, uh, <laughs> the gigantic 17 millimeter. It'd be good for that. Yeah, absolutely. Cause, uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's a heavier eyepiece, uh, than that 17 millimeter at three pounds. That's just enormous. Yeah, worth the views. I got to admit, the weight of that eyepiece to me uh, feels somewhat inconsequential in use just because it works so well. Yeah, that's awesome. So then uh, that's one of them. That's that's one of my oddball. I'm going to present mine in no particular order, I guess. Uh, that massive 17 millimeter, 92 degree Explorer Scientific. That definitely is an oddball accessory. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Because not many people have it. I've never seen one in the field. And uh, there's some reports of them. The serial numbers are still relatively low. I think that people are somewhat uh, hesitant to buy them because of the uh, because of the weight, uh, 2.8 pounds, I think, uh, very close to three pounds. Uh, I think like the box, it's like everything, when you get the box and everything, I think that's like three pounds or three and a quarter, which is sometimes stated as the weight. It's not quite as heavy as you think it's going to be, but it's very heavy. It's a mm -hmm. very heavy eyepiece. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's uh, definitely an oddball one. Um, they've only made two types of these eyepieces, the 12 and the 17. And the big deal with these is they have this uh, 92 degree, a very wide field of view. Um, yet they have these massive eye lenses, which, uh, allow people like me and, and you Shane with eyeglasses to look through it. And, uh, somehow in the magic of the design, it's extremely easy and comfortable, uh, to look through that it very much is like looking through a porthole into space because, uh, I believe they must've used uh, porthole glass to make the exit lens. <laughs> very cool. All right. What else is on your list there? Um, so lately I've kind of gravitated towards, um, I think it's more of a photography accessory, um, and it's for tripods. Um, and it's, uh, like a kind of a canvas, uh, accessory holder that attaches to all three legs of the tripod. And it has like three kind of areas that are cordoned off by some more fabric, yeah. And, um, it's just really, really handy. Like with the, uh, the Burlaback tripod that I have, I purchased the wood, uh, kind of triangle accessory holder that goes onto the tripod, but mm -hmm. you know, to fold up the tripod, you have to take that thing off and it's just sort of big and I don't know, gets in the way. Yeah. Whereas, you know, and, and it really doesn't add any stability either. It really is just there to hold things. So this fabric or canvas um, accessory holder for the tripod is wonderful uh, because I can fold up the tripod and just leave that thing on. And then when I deploy the tripod, it's already there and uh, it can go on any tripod. Like they're very um, agnostic in terms of their fit and, and how they can attach. Um, because originally I have a a carbon fiber uh, Gitzo tripod, uh, tripod that does not have any accessory holder. So I bought it for that, but now I'm actually using it on the Burlaback all the time as well, just because it's so much more convenient. Yeah. And uh, for anybody that has, or that observes with a tripod, um, having, for me anyway, having like that uh, accessory holder 
like right in front of me, right, you know, right, uh, like attached to the tripod is mm -hmm. just so handy. Like I, you know, I'll keep usually a couple of eyepieces down there. Um, maybe like my pen and notebook sometimes will go down there. Yeah. Uh, all sorts of miscellaneous things will go there just because it's, you know, a quick reach and I have whatever I need from that area. And, yeah. uh, uh, these, th like these things are fairly inexpensive, especially, you know, relative to the rest of the stuff we use in this hobby. Uh, I, I think you can purchase these for about $20. And, uh, like I say, they'll attach to any tripod and mm. provide a lot of function. Man, I wouldn't mind. Wouldn't mind getting a link for that. Actually, I, I I think this could be an accessory that I didn't know that I needed until right now. <laughs> yeah, I I can't say. I'm not joking. I'm just like yeah, yeah. I'm pretty serious because I've used mine in a similar way and it doesn't work that well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So this this is appealing to me for sure. Yeah, I'll send you a link. All right. Um, this this is definitely an oddball. That this is um perhaps one of my my most used accessories. In, in fact, I would say it's it's my most used accessory, but it is very oddball. I use a uh, Lumicon diagonal diagonal. And what that is, is it's not a, the, the mirror inside the diagonals, like all others, it's at 45 degrees. But unlike other diagonals, there's not a right angle um, machined into the base of the diagonal. It's simply flat across the bottom of that diagonal. And there's, there's a whole bunch of theory and stuff that goes into that design. I, I've never seen any other manufacturer produce these. I always like the look. And there's a few reasons why I really like the Lumicon um, diagonal. Uh, and I, I just like the look. It's cut off at the base. You don't have that square 90 degree. I think it, it looks unique. And because of that, you know, when you're out at night and it's sort of silhouetted against the sky, I just think it's really cool. Uh, simply because in one of the first editions of Nightwatch, Terrence Dickinson had a shot of a telescope. I think it was like a 14-inch Macassar grain on the cover. And it had one of these, even though it was dark and it was a silhouette, I knew what diagonal that was. And I just, I just sort of like that. I like it when uh, a company designs a product that you can recognize in silhouette, even though you think of a diagonal is this very generic ubiquitous thing. And they, it, the design is very well executed. There's, there's two reasons why I went with the diagonal. I, I really love the look, but there's actually two very practical reasons. One, it's the lightest weight two inch diagonal um, that I could find a dozen or 15 years ago now. And the other is that um it has one of the shortest, if not the shortest light paths. And that's important for reducing the amount of vignetting you get, or basically um, distortion or, or such that you get at the edges of the field of view with very wide angle eyepieces, which I have lots of. So I, I like the fact that it, it looks good. The design is both aesthetically appealing. It looks really nice. And the reason for it is it, it has um, a lot of uh, really good functionality, um, which improves the the view. And the mirrors they use are uh, second to none. And then if that wasn't enough, I have three because they can be difficult to find. And I've bought them um, on sale when companies are clearing them out because they're a low uh, sellable item. And because of that, I've also been able to purchase one of my dream, perhaps the absolute most oddball 
diagonal of all time, which is called the Lumicon multiple filter selector diagonal, which is a um, filter selector, which mounts into the draw tube for the eyepiece or the, the eyepiece holder for the diagonal. And you can slide that across the top of the diagonal. And again, because the diagonal traditionally has this very short light path, it only increases the light path um, to about, or maybe just a little bit more than the average light path of a regular diagonal. And it, it's just really cool to be able to uh, to have these diagonals and, and to get that performance. And, and I have a whole handful of uh, two inch filters that I like to load into that and use when I'm doing some pretty serious uh, nebula observations hmm. yeah that's uh i i really do like that filter uh slider it, it's super handy um you know if you can make something like that work i i think it's a fantastic accessory for sure works perfect the the borg five inch the way that the it has this really strange um sliding focuser it's like a helical with a draw tube and then i have a feather touch mounted in the end and this diagonal with the multiple filter selector and that uh, double uh, double um, focuser arrangement is like a match made in heaven. It just, it works perfectly. It doesn't work as well on my other telescopes, but that telescope with that arrangement, which is what I bought it for, um, is just this, this perfect, perfect setup. Yeah. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. What's your next one? Um, I don't think I've ever talked about this one before, but I use it every single time I observe. Um, and that is my pen <laughs> because I'm always, uh, writing down my, my notes and, you know, I'm not a sketcher as everybody knows, but I do like to record, uh, some text as to what I'm seeing. Is it and, a space pen or? Well, kind of. So that is part <laughs> of the issue. Like, um, when we observe, you know, it's not uncommon that we're near freezing temperatures. Mm -hmm. And in my early days of observing, I just grabbed whatever pen we had laying around the house here. And sometimes when I would start, you know, uh, getting deep into the night and it's cold, the pen would actually freeze up a little bit and not like yep. frozen, but it would, it, the, the ink wouldn't really flow or wouldn't flow well. And I'd have to heat it up in my hand, uh, to get it working properly again. So that was a bit of an issue. Um, so I did use a, a Fisher space pen for a while. I think those are the most popular ones out there, but like the, they don't write very well. The ink, mm -hmm. I just, you know, I don't like it. It's kind of blotchy. And, you know, when you're using a, a very dim red light, you kind of like, it, it was just hard to even, you know, see sometimes what I was writing and I didn't love the experience. Um, but there's a, a pen manufacturer called Zebra. Um, some people are probably familiar with that. And they have a pen, I think it's the, um, I'm just going to look it up here. I believe it's the Z701 and, or X701. And it's sort of billed as a, like a rugged pen. And it okay. has a, a pressurized, um, a pressurized ink cartridge in there, which is about essentially nine, a space pen, right? About nine bucks. So yeah. This is, yeah. This isn't crazy expensive or anything. No, it, it's cheap. Um, it works you know, in cold temperatures, it writes upside down, kind of all of the stuff that you, you know, that the space pen does. Um, but I find the ink is just a, it's a much nicer ink. Uh, I don't know. It's not pattern, but <laughs> the, the ink itself, it just writes better. And, uh, you know, I have kind of bigger hands and this is a fatter pen as well. So it just fits better in my hand. 
Um, the bottom area, like kind of the knurling that gives you the grip is actually like a, like a plastic or a composite of some kind, which, mm-hmm. uh, is also great in the cold. Cause then you're, it's not going to, uh, absorb or transfer the cold as much as metal does. Yeah. So it's just not, you know, it, it's not going to freeze your fingers and, um, Uh, It even has like a little lanyard hook on the side if you wanted to hang it off of a lanyard around your neck or something like that. Oh, or put it Uh, on your uh, red flashlight. Yeah, that's pretty slick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then then it's always kind of handy. The only downside to it is it's black. I wished it would come in other colors so that if you set it down somewhere at night, it would just be a little easier to see, you know, like a a white or some other brighter color. But other than that, it's a wonderful pen uh, to use, uh, you know, to record observations uh, by the telescope. Cool. Anything else in your pen? No. That is all regarding the pen. (laughs) That's really interesting. I thought this was going to be the most boring one when you said it was a pen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is a little boring, but uh, this is the best pen that I found for for observing purposes, for sure. Again, this this was something I didn't know I wanted until we had this discussion. (laughs) Now, these, the this next one for me, this sounds like a really great thing. This this is something nobody should buy. I have these weird Bushnell 7 by 32 85 or 90 degree binoculars, and they are kind of horrible, actually. Mm. Okay. I don't know. They they made these um, a number of years ago. They stopped for good reason. They they have really great eyepieces. The eyepieces aren't the, the trouble. And that's one of the reasons why I bought them is I had thought maybe at a future point in time, I would see if I could use the eyepieces for something. Um, but the downside is there's no eye relief. It's like a 10 millimeter eye relief. So you can't use them with glasses. So for me, they're kind of, um, null and void and I should sell them because, uh, they're, they also are sought after for those eye pieces, but the actual binocular, even though it has this really wide field of view, the design is so odd. It uses a series of mirrors, no prisms. It's little like finder scope lenses, 32 millimeter, seven power, and they may even be a little bit less than that. But I think they get like a 14 degree field of view or something. So they, I wanted them because they're the widest field of view, um, 70 odd millimeter binocular you can get. How? And sorry, my builder just walked by. So the Cactus Hill observatory he's he's working on and it's named that because the uh the ground here is completely covered in cactus chain i think you've seen it 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 is covered in cactus my builder is out there walking around in bare feet today and i'm just like how can you do that (laughs) you must have feet like the leather man all right so yeah these binoculars they use these mirrors really great eyepieces everything else is a bit of a throwaway like i said a lot of people buy them for those lenses and then they they take them and they modify other binoculars with those lenses but uh it's a strange strange looking binocular it's kind of looks like a brick and uh doesn't really work that well unfortunately Hmm. well (laughs) interesting Well, my last one, Chris, is um, uh, kind of, I think we've maybe talked about this once or twice before, um, but it's just a, a dust blower and it's kind of like a rubber like bulb with a mm-hmm. like a bit of a plastic tube at the end and you squeeze the bulb and it just shoots air out of this tube. 
uh, anybody who's into photography probably has one of these in their lens kit just to blow some dust off of the lens or your camera sensor, but it works great for astronomy as well. You know, it, mm -hmm. it helps to blow the dust off of the eyepieces as well as your telescope objective. And, you know, you don't have to touch the objectives, uh, which is ideal because you don't want to scratch anything. And, um, like that, like those compressed air cans sometimes will shoot out, um, like unwanted moisture that you, you just don't want, you know, near your telescope stuff or eyepiece lenses. Yeah. So using something like this is really handy there. Again, it's a super inexpensive accessory, probably around $10. And uh, it's always in my kit because you just never know, right? Sometimes an eyepiece, you, you don't even know that it maybe got kind of dirty the last session. So you'll use it now or, um, you know, just kind of junk collects throughout the night. And uh, this is a, a nice way to keep your stuff in a relatively clean state. So I, uh, I usually have this in the kit every time I go out as well. Well, my strangest accessory is what I'm sitting in. And, and where I am at, which is uh, on the Cactus Hill and buying an old cabin with an adjacent lot for an observatory um, and the hillside completely covered in cactus is definitely a very strange thing to do, to say the least. Um, it's not as though we were looking for a cabin and then it just kind of coincidentally happened to have. No, yeah, that was what I was looking for when we came to buy it. It was uh, my wife and I bought it together, um, but we each had a few things that we wanted. And uh, and the, the one of the guiding principles was, uh, and she did want this too. She wanted a place where I could come and safely observe because as you know, Shane, I like to get up in the morning and do observing. And even the summer on nights when I haven't been here, if it has been clear, I will go and get in the car and go and drive uh, 30 or 40 miles out on the grid. And uh, and and she's very uncomfortable with this um, for obvious reasons. And uh, it's really nice to have sort of a permanent and nice, secure, very easy place to come and uh, and set up when whenever I want to. But that definitely is a strange thing to buy just for astronomy simply because, uh, well, I really don't know that many people that have gone out and, and bought a piece of piece of land. I think I know about five people who've done this. Um, and most of them are, are listeners of this podcast, so they can sympathize with all the trials and tribulations of, of doing such an oddball thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, uh, you know, it, you, you have all of the advantages that we talk about when we would go camping in grasslands of, you know, being able to observe until you can barely keep your eyes yeah. open and then you just go to bed and you yeah. have that, uh, right there and a little more luxury than a tent in grasslands. A little bit more, a little bit more. Well, by the sounds of the circular saw in the background, construction is underway again. So I'm very excited well, about this. It's been a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, that's good. But I better go check on on him. He did want to come and talk to me, and instead uh, he gave me a wave and has begun building again. So I better go and make sure that uh, that things aren't going off track. I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, well, good luck, sir. All right. Well, dear listeners, please subscribe and do us a favor and share the show with other stargazers. You know, you can always send us your ideas, observations, show notes, and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>